Yes. Oh, man. It, the, the dad in me is coming out a little bit because I'm seeing the rain and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, we needed this. You know, that's, that's one thing that you can't help as a dad is you just, if you see rain, you just gotta, you've got to say, yeah, we needed this. Or if your dog is stretching, it's, oh, big stretch. That's okay. Uh, hey, listen, this morning, um, it's good to be here. We believe in, uh, sorry, our, the message from this morning will be on our Spotify podcast. So feel free to go give it a listen there if, um, if I'm particularly amazing this morning and you really uh, want to listen to that again. And then our sermon notes are also on version, so feel free to go have a look there. Um, check it out. We're Doxadale, Auckland, and you can find the sermon notes all listed over there. You can go and read through that yourself and study it out further. And then we also believe that the Word of God is central to our lives. And so we're just going to do a, uh, a bit of a confession this morning. So um, say it with me. Uh, I think that's the Afrikaans version. We'll do it in English. This is my Bible. So just raise it with me, and if you have it with you today, or just grab your phone. (laughs) This is my Bible. It is the living Word of God that directs my life. I am who God says I am. I have what God says I have. I can do what God says I can do. My mind is aware. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. I like that. That is too, too good. So if you've been with us the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been talking about being a family on a mission. And family is kind of one of those like interesting words. It's, it's, it's a bit strange to hear sometimes. I think sometimes we hear certain words and we think, oh, I know what that means. I don't really need to pay attention or I can kind of forget about what's going on. I'll just zone out for a minute and think about the game. And man, if they just pushed harder, if they just went for that try line, they really could have got it. We kind of zone out. And family, if you hear it at a company, the first instinct is usually to run because it means you're going to be working too many hours. You're going to be family, but it's a one-way situation. You're going to be their family. You're going to be doing them all the favors. But we believe in being family, and that means a few different things to us. And so in week one, um, we talked about what it, what it means to be part of the, the church family. We said that essentially it's, it's changing our perspective to be compassionate rather than concerned. So instead of looking around and saying, oh, Auckland, I mean, traffic is so bad, you know, this is terrible, that's terrible, we move to a place of compassion. Where, where can I help? How can I make Auckland a better place? And then in week two, last week, we heard from Nielsen, he talked about rubbing off on each other. Why are we here? It's to rub off on each other, to share life with each other, to, to do life together. And this week, I want to talk about partnership. Moving from being a member to being a partner. So I want to ask you a question. What is a partner? And I'm going to do the typical preacher thing and go to the dictionary to, to help me out here. And a partner is defined as basically one of three things. Okay, So either a member of a married couple or of an established unmarried couple. So we talk about, this is my partner, uh, Josephine. I've got my partner, Zane. And I always kind of roll my eyes when I hear that, but I think that that's actually such a beautiful analogy, and we'll get to that in a minute. But a partner can also be thought of as a person or group that takes part with others in doing something. So you take part with others in doing something. And then the third definition is any number of individuals with interests and investments in a business or enterprise among whom expenses, profits, and losses are shared. And so through those three definitions, we kind of see a bit of a trend happening. We see that each 
definition, each of those kinds of people, a married couple, somebody who's taking part in an activity, and somebody with business investments, they all have one thing in common. They have skin in the game. It's costing them something. They are invested. And we can take this concept of being a partner, and, the, and, and we can look at it as partnering as a family, and we can, we can basically break it up into four different categories. The first thing we can say is that a partner is somebody that prays together. They pray for the dream. And prayer is kind of a weird thing nowadays. It's kind of seen as the, the good vibes of Christianity. So back in the hippie days, 1970s, some of you might remember that, or 80s, I think it was. It tells you how young I am. They would say, good vibes. I'm sending good vibes your way. I'm hoping that things are going to go all right with you. And I feel like prayer in Christian circles has become our good vibes. I'll pray for you. Oh, your, your, your dog died. I'll pray for you. And then that night we're laying in bed and we're going through our list of all the prayers that we have. And we're like, oh, I just want to pray for, you know, so-and-so and and you kind of start nodding off. And then in the end, you forget to pray for them anyway. So I want to just, uh, just read a, a verse to you in James chapter 5, verse 13. If you turn with me there, it'll be on the screen as well. Um, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with all in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And then in James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. You see, prayer is powerful. It's not meant to be just a good vibe. Uh, uh, um, uh, to placate somebody, to basically hold them off until next time. It's not a way for us to get out of, of having a meaningful interaction with somebody to just basically brush them off and say, oh, it's a, that's, that's terrible, that's too bad. Prayer is powerful and, and it has real power. It's no secret that Jesus prayed for people wherever he went. Like if you ever read any of Jesus' interactions, he's doing anything. One of the things he's almost always doing is praying for people. Wherever he goes, he's praying for somebody. And you go, oh, that's Jesus. That's God. Yeah, his prayers are powerful. No, the apostles prayed as well. The people that came after Jesus, just regular people like us. People that also made mistakes, they prayed and they saw powerful miracles happen. So prayer is not just a good vibe and prayer is something that we should be doing for each other. We should be praying for each other meaningfully, deliberately, and I don't want you to feel condemned by verse 16 either. It says, that, um, it says, therefore confess your sins and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And then that last bit kind of hurts a little. Sometimes you read, and the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. I read that a little and I was like, ooh, okay, righteous person. I'm not necessarily righteous. But Romans chapter 3 verse 22 says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's you. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He goes, I know, no one is righteous. And then he goes on to say in verse 24, And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. You see, you are a righteous person. Jesus made you righteous. 
whose blood paid for you to become righteous. And so your prayers have power, even if you think they don't. Prayer is our nuclear weapon. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul is saying, Pray at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. It means praying for all the saints. You see, it's not a side gig. Prayer is not a side hustle. It's not for later. It's not for a rainy day. Prayer should be a central aspect of our lives. And if you want to make it practical, praying for each other, instead of saying, I will pray for you, say, can I pray for you? Right then and there, pray for somebody. Say, hey, listen, can I pray for you? So a partner is somebody who perseveres in prayer. A member says, I'll pray for you later. The second thing that a partner does is they attend. They show up. They're there. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25, Paul is speaking here. He says, And let us consider how we can stir one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together. That's today. That's what we're doing now. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. So there's a couple of things I'm picking up from this verse. The first thing is Paul is saying, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works and encourage one another. See, the reason we're actually here today is to stir one another up. That's the point of meeting on Sundays. It's not so that we can get our injection of church for the week and then we go away and, hey, we're good. We're just going to coast and you coast and you kind of go down and down and down. And then Sunday we get our next injection and we just coast from Sunday to Sunday. Church is here and, and we're here as partners with each other to stir one another up. Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron in Proverbs 27, 17, so one person sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Notice, he doesn't say, as, as a pastor, uh, the pastor is the one that does that for you. He says, let us, all of us, not let the pastor consider how to stir you up, but and consider how to stir each other up. This is not for the holy rollers, this is for everyone. We attend to stir one another up. The second thing Paul says is, not neglecting to listen to Sunday's message on Spotify. Wait a second. No, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. You see, even in those days, 2,000 years ago, people had started going, oh, it's okay, I'll go next week. Or in the Colosseum, they're just having a fight. I really want to go see that. I'm just going to skip church this Sunday. No, they said, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. Show up, attend. This is how we do life together. This is an opportunity for us to stir one another up. If you're married, you say, in sickness and in health. Till death do us part. I'm there every day. I'm not there when it's convenient. I'm not there when your breath smells nice. You know, you wake up in the morning, you've got that morning breath going. I'm not there when it sucks. I'm not there when it's sick. I'm not there when it's suffering. No, we say I'm there throughout that whole time. I'm there when it's uncomfortable. I'm there, honey, when you're talking and I really just, I'm watching the game and, and you're going on and no, I'm there. <laughs> a partner shows up. You see, you can have a relationship with God and many people will say this. Oh, but I, I still read my Bible at home. I still, you know, listen to Sunday's message online. You can have a relationship with God that way. 
But it's like trying to make a long-distance relationship work. And I've tried it before. It didn't work out for me. Maybe it works out for you, but it's tough. It makes life harder. Why would you make your own life harder? Why would you deliberately go, no, I'm going to make it tougher for myself in the, in, the, in the context of like your relationship with God when you're making it easier for yourself just so that you don't have to wake up early <laughs> in some cases? So I have a question for you. How do you know when somebody goes to the gym early? You don't have to find out. They'll tell you. So let me tell you how I've been going to the gym early. <laughs> Recently, a buddy of mine, and we started working out in the morning. And uh, I, have to, I usually have to be at work at 7. So I've basically got to be done and ready by 6.30. And there's no way I'm getting to the gym and only working, for half, working out for half an hour. And I've got to take a shower and everything. And so by the time I counted all the time up and we worked it out together, we found out, okay, I've got to wake up at 4.30 in the morning at the most unholy hour to be at the gym on time. So why are you punishing yourself like that, you ask? I don't know. <laughs> but to do that, you have to have a partner. That's something that I found. If I had to wake up by myself to go to the gym at, at 4.30, there's no way that's happening. I'm going to go look at the watch and go, oh, what's today? Today's just cardio. Oh, it's okay. I'll do it after work. I'm going to sleep in. And then after work comes and, oh, I'm tired. Never mind. I'll just go home. It's okay. I'll start tomorrow again. And then you go to bed at 10 o'clock and you've got to wake up the next day and you're like, oh, no way, I'm too tired. So what I did is I got a buddy. And so going to the gym is actually a fun event. It's so much nicer because now I get there and my buddy's there and I see he's just as tired as I am and we have a good laugh about it and we get on with the workout and it's terrible and it's an amazing way to make sure that your day can't get any worse. <laughs> but it's a good time. And we do life together and we're there and we're saying, hey, look, you know, push it. And, the, you know, we're pushing like five kilograms on the bench press and it's uh, suffering. And yeah, I'm very strong, I know. <laughs> but he shows up and I show up. We're there together to do life together. We're there to suffer together. We're there when it's uncomfortable. We're there at 5 a.m. in the morning and it, it sucks sometimes, but we're there. And it makes it so much easier. So why would you do it? Why would you not do it at all? Why would you do it alone? No, a partner is somebody who attends regularly, who shows up. And the third thing is a partner gets involved with their gifts. You see, as a partner, you're somebody that gets involved. The second definition is taking part with others in an activity. You're not just standing there watching going, yeah, go boys. I mean, unless you're a site supervisor, and that's 100% what you do. There are no site supervisors in the crowd, are there? <laughs> in James chapter 2, verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but he doesn't have works? Can his faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled. What we said earlier, good vibes, I'm praying for you. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have, it works, is dead. He's saying, get involved. Don't just say, be warmed and filled. If you have the ability to fill a need, he says, fill that need. And not all of us have the ability to fill the same need. God has obviously blessed some of us with more talent than others. If I started trying to sing, you would 100% agree with me. <laughs> you see, God has blessed us 
with talents and skills. Some of us are great with uh, building or working with our hands. Others are given skill with money to, to do business. Some of us are skilled musicians. But we all have a place. We all have something that we can do, a way for us to get involved. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul gives us this beautiful analogy. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were made to drink of one spirit. For the body doesn't consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, would that make it any less a part of the body? And if the, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, would that not make it any less a part of the body? If the body were only an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If we were all a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. You see, you have a unique function in the body of Christ that only you can fill. Jesus has chosen you and blessed you with certain skills and knowledge so that only you can fill a certain place. Only you can get involved in a specific way. You see, Jesus wants us to partner with him. There's a lot of great thinkers in, uh, in society at the moment, and some of them are a little strange. They think that we're all in a simulation. <laughs> and their argument is basically that you're just a brain interpreting signals from the rest of your body. And they've got one thing right. You are a brain, and you're interpreting signals from your body. And if you take that, you can think of it in this way. What influences the world around you with your will? It's your body. Your body is the vehicle that you're driving. It's, the, it's, the, it's the, the, the executing force of your will on the world around you. I would not just be lifting this with my brain, unless I'm an alien with like telekinesis or something. And if we're the body of Christ, what is his influencing force on this world? You are. You are the influencing force of Jesus on this world. You execute his will on earth. He has called you to be a part of his body, to fulfill a, 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 um, a task that he has uniquely given to you. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus says, Go therefore, wait at church, let all the disciples and let all the nations come to you. No, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He is saying, Be active, be intentional. Go and do something. Partner with me. Don't watch from the sidelines. Get your hands dirty. I have called you to action my force on this world. You see, a partner is called to, to be someone who is involved and who serves with the gifts and the talents that God has given them. Number four, a partner is somebody who gives. Everyone's favorite topic. A partner is somebody who is financially invested. The third definition of partner was somebody that has bought into a business. They have purchased stock. They, they have purchased investments. Maybe if they're a name partner, you've got to buy a certain amount and then you get your name that goes up on the billboard. Why would you do that? Why would you adopt the risk? Why would you adopt, uh, adopt the, the, the prospect of devaluation? If you take all this money and you put it into a business, why would you do that if, there's a, if you think that that business is going to go under? You see, why do you have to do that? If you want to be a partner in a firm, 
because it shows that you're invested. It shows that you believe in the company. Now, we don't believe that we're a company, but we believe that the re- one of the reasons we give, one of the reasons we ask people to be financially invested, it shows that you believe in the dream. You're not giving your money away. You are investing in the mission. You are putting skin in the game. You are sacrificing of yourself to show that I believe that this is going to be a success. I believe that God is going to work here, and I am partnering to bring a dream or vision to pass. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Paul is speaking again. And he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever you sow, that you will reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You see, like the law of gravity, there are certain spiritual laws that govern our life. And in, in one of those laws is the, the, the law of sowing and reaping. What you sow, you will reap. It applies to you whether you think it does or doesn't. It's not like I'm going to you know, run, run and jump off a cliff and hope that gravity doesn't work. <laughs> it applies to you whether you think it does or doesn't. He says, God is not mocked. This is the way it works. And I'm not asking you guys to sow your $50,000 faith seed today, but I am saying that a partner is somebody who is bought in to the vision. In Mark chapter 12, verse 41, um, 41 to 44, Jesus is, it's Jesus, he's sitting down at the treasury, and, says, and he sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came in and put two small copper coins, which make a penny, 50 cents. (laughs) And he called his disciples and said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Jesus, are you crazy? Look at them. They're putting in like hundreds of thousands of dollars, and she puts in like 50 cents, and she's giving more? For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all that she had to to live on. So what's her reward? What did she reap that she sowed? 2,000 years later, we are still talking about this lady's story. And Jesus, the King of heaven and earth, says, look at her. You should all be like her. She is invested in the dream. She believes that she is giving to God. She knows that she is going to reap what she sows. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There wasn't a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and bought, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. They were partners with each other. It says that they basically didn't own anything. That's how freely they gave to each other. They were partners. They weren't members. They were giving freely with what they had. They were bought into and financially invested in the dream. Ben, you guys can come up if, if, you're, if you're there. In Romans chapter 12, 
Paul is speaking again. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And some translations, I love this, it says reasonable worship. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's a big sacrifice because it's your reasonable worship. Jesus presented his body as a living sacrifice for us. Isn't it reasonable to think that we would present ours a sacrifice for him? To partner with him? Are you a partner this morning or are you a member? Are you sending good vibes or are you praying for the mission and for your fellow brothers and sisters? Are you showing up or are you there when it's comfortable, when it's easy, when there's no rugby on? This isn't the nod to God crowd. I know you all are here. Are you involved? Are you running the race with passion? Are you sacrificing of your time, your talent, or your treasure? Or are you watching from the sidelines saying, go team? Are you invested into the dream? Or have you forgotten the graciousness of God? Are you a living sacrifice this morning? In the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, Isaiah is a prophet, and he is receiving a vision from God. God has asked him to go out and do something very difficult. Tell the Israelites that they have turned away from me. I'm calling them back. That's not an easy task. These people are enjoying themselves. They're having a good time. Mothers, you know how hard it is to pull your kid away from the TV when they're in the middle of a show. It's almost impossible. Or they're with their video games. Now you've got to pull them away and tell them, no, you've got to go clean the kitchen. Isaiah has to do this for an entire nation, enjoying themselves, having a great time, mocking God, setting up their idols. He has to go and do the, has the difficult task of telling them, turn around, go back to God. So God is giving him this vision, and in the middle of the vision, something happens. An angel takes a coal, and in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 7, he says, as Isaiah is speaking, he says, And he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who will I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Where are you this morning? Are you a partner or are you a member? Are you invested? Are you saying, here I am, Lord, send me. I'm gonna get involved. I'm gonna show up. I am invested into the vision. I am going to be a force, Jesus, for you to affect your will on this world. Where are you this morning? And we're going to sing a song again. Here I am. And if that's you, why don't you stand and sing with us and raise your hands and just in your heart say, here I am, Lord. I'm ready to receive. So you can stand up. We're going to sing together again and just worship God. And let that be the cry of your heart this morning. Here I am, send me.